Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with author, illustrator, filmmaker, Sean Tan, about his latest book, Creatures, Paintings, Drawings, and Reflections. Sean Tan is one of the world's most highly acclaimed narrative artists, best known for illustrated books that deal with social and historical subjects through dreamlike imagery, widely translated throughout the world and enjoyed by readers of all ages. Some highlights of the recognition he has received for his work include multiple Hugo and World Fantasy Awards for Best Artist, an Academy Award for the short animated film The Lost Thing, the prestigious Astrid Lindgren Memorial Award in Sweden, and the Kate Greenaway Medal in the UK. His latest work, Creatures, Paintings, Drawings, and Reflections, is by is a collection of essays illuminating his thoughts and advice for writers and artists, young and old. Drawing upon 25 years as a picture book and comics creator, painter, and filmmaker, Creature explores the central obsession of this visionary artist from casual doodles to studied oil paintings. Beyond sketches for acclaimed works such as The Arrival, The Lost Thing, and Tales from Outer, Suburbia, this volume collects together for the first time more than 100 unseen and standalone illustrations, each resonant with unwritten tales of their own. Uh, I have to say, first of all, this book is incredible. I mentioned on I mentioned to Sean on it. I, I'm tripping over my words because of how incredible it is. But I mentioned on the show to Sean about how it resonated with me, how it stuck with me, how I continue to think about it. You absolutely want to get a copy of this book wherever you get your books. And I think you're really going to enjoy my perspective with Sean. We even went a bit deeper, I think, on certain topics than he even expected uh, to go. It was a fantastic conversation. I had the absolute best time with him. And before we get to the conversation, I do need to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Sean Tan is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm excited because he is an acclaimed author, illustrator, filmmaker, and overall wonderful guy, Sean Tan. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm great, especially after that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, good. And you're actually, we were having a joke about this, um, but you're actually speaking to me from the future. I've never spoken to someone uh, from the future. That's a bit of a joke because you are, if people haven't picked up on it uh, uh, by your accent yet, you are from Australia, currently in Australia, and I am here in Texas in the United States of America. So we are recording. It is an evening for me. It is a late morning, early afternoon the next day for you. So this is a, a bit of a, a, a nerd moment for me where I'm getting to speak through uh, time and space itself. <laughs> yes, through a magical portal. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm based, I'm based in Melbourne. Um, I'm originally from Western Australia, which is kind of the Texas of Australia. There we go. Um, I think we're three times bigger than your state, so I mean, probably um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, here at the at the Detox Podcast, uh, what I like to invite listeners to do is to quote unquote detox from the world around them. Forty five minutes, fifty minutes, however long the episode is, and just get a window into how other people live their lives. So I do like to ask my guests, and Sean, I'll ask you, what are you currently detoxing from? What am I detoxing from? Um, I would say uh, the stress of deadlines. Um, You know, I work as a freelance artist and um, I'm self-employed, but that comes with the the cost of, you know, constant pressure of deadlines for particular projects. And in recent years, especially after having young children, um, 
I've decided to go out of my way to avoid deadlines set by anyone other than myself if I can help it. Yeah. Um, because it's it's very it's a great source of stress. Um, and I also realize often with books and art and exhibitions, um, these are stresses that we create for ourselves because it's, as I always say, it's not like surgery. No one's going to die if you right. don't get a book released on time. I mean, right. you try, but, um, you know, as I, as a younger artist, I used to worry about that a lot. And these days I'm like, eh, it'll happen when it happens. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's helped me a lot. That's a, that's a good point of advice, especially I've got, uh, so one of my, my colleagues, uh, she likes to quote the phrase self-imposed deadlines, um, or, yes. or, uh, and that's when we, you know, sort of what you were talking about, about the, the deadlines we're setting for ourselves and we're feeling this pressure up against it. And then we have to remind ourselves to, to your point, no one's going to die if we don't X, right. Or Y or Z or whatever the deadline that is that we're trying to meet. And then the, yes. uh, the other aspect of that is sort of these um, artificial deadlines from, from folks that we work with who feel that this particular deadline, for whatever reason, is the most important thing in the world. And, and, and the world will stop functioning if we don't meet this deadline in its entirety for whatever reason. And it is the, it is the single point of stress for me and one in which I have to constantly say, now, wait a minute. Let's pause. Let's see what's going yeah. on. How serious is everything? And often it is not as serious as it, as one may want it to be, is what I'll say. Yeah, I get that. That's right. I feel a little bit irresponsible saying forget about deadlines, <laughs> but it's really about trying not to get anxious about them. Mm -hmm. um, and also um, just, you know, being confident that you'll, you'll make it, you know. Um, don't worry about it until you're actually run into a bit of trouble yeah um that's um it's a good it's my public my publisher is listening to this and shaking their head in dismay <laughs> so <laughs> like, there he goes again there he goes no um <laughs> so on uh on the show today uh, we're going to talk about uh, your latest release creature which is just an absolutely beautiful book um, I found myself and I'll, I'll get into a couple, there's a couple pieces I want to dive into that I made note of that I'll pull up here in a moment. Um, but I found myself, my personal experience with it, getting the book, opening it. And initially, uh, especially with a book such as this, which has such amazing illustrations, I like to just sort of absorb it and let it, let it guide me as to where I want to linger, mm -hmm. where I want to turn the page. And then I find myself going back and reading the text all yes. together a bit at a time and then sort of allowing that to marinate a bit in my mind mm -hmm. and then and then coming back to it a third time sort of in in um in conjunction with the images the text and the images together and it's been something i've been reflecting on over the last couple of weeks in preparation for this interview of how how timely i feel that this book is from the from the sense that there are there is so much of our society where and i'm speaking specifically from american society but i think the same is true for a lot of the world as well we are so self-absorbed and so focused on either fitting in or standing out in a way in which we are conditioned to fit in um, to be mm -hmm. to be the top one of the influencers right as an example or the top one of the corporate, the corporate machine and, and mm -hmm. that I don't think we question enough why we're doing what we're doing. And we've, mm -hmm. and to me, it has become a single point of stress where there's a lot of these, right? Like deadlines of, of artificial deadlines and, and self-imposed to where it's now, wait a minute, let's take a step back and let's see what the full scope of the picture is. So, so I want to dive into creature and I want to ask you before, before we do that, I wanted to tease the audience a bit with that, and, and we'll dive into it. Um, I want to ask you uh, some of your earliest uh, experiences with art. What was that like for you, and how did you find yourself drawn to uh, the medium in the first place? 
Um, yeah, the earliest experiences of art, I mean, I often go back to that and, and this book starts with a drawing I did when I was three. So that's almost a touchstone image to sort of think about, well, has anything changed since I was three? And, and my conclusion is, um, kind of not much, <laughs> which is a good thing. So, um, uh, but I guess, um, you know, it's a question to ask all children. I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that kids just like drawing. I mean, it's quite a sophisticated, conceptually, it's a sophisticated thing to be doing at such a young age. Um, and the way young kids draw is absolutely fascinating. It's sort of way more interesting than adult art, I think, yeah. um, because it's highly conceptual. They're not drawing what they see, they're drawing what they think. Yeah. And you can see the, you know, if they draw their mother or father, it's a, it's a face with these peripheral limbs coming out, but it's, it's almost like this face. And so you're seeing the thought of mind expanding into the world and exploring. And so I think that's um, probably the same for me. I mean, I don't see myself as different from anybody else out there. I think we're all artists, but you know, life takes us on different paths and we express it in different ways. Right. Um, for me, it's gone into the visual drawing side and just sort of stuck there. Yeah. just constantly mining that that sort of childhood inspiration but um it's basically there's a thrill in it it's yeah. it's a form of learning that's thrilling you know um it's self-learning it's like uh it's, it's thinking to yourself on the page it's much easier mm -hmm. sometimes when you draw to think to yourself um and you're having a conversation with your own thoughts and you're understanding what you think and feel and so i think kids know that and they're, they're just trying to figure something out. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated by how readily children pick up a pencil or a crayon or a paintbrush and they just go. You don't need to tell them what to do. Adults, on the other hand, are very resistant. Um, even, even me as an artist, I, I sort of, I'm a little bit resistant to the idea of drawing because it feels like work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, many uh, adults say, I can't draw to save my life or something like that. You'll never hear a kid say that. They're too That's busy true. doing it, you know. I just get in and give it a go. And um, there's yeah. a lot to be learned from that. That's well said, especially because I think about um, when I go to I, – I, I have – I'm looking up, and, and no one else can see this except me, but I'm looking up at this painting that I did um, probably five, six years ago. And it was in one of those, um, you know, uh, drink wine and, and follow along with the instructor type of classes, right? Basic canvas. And I remember I've always loved Bob Ross. And so that's somebody that I enjoyed watching and, and growing up and whatnot. And if you had said, Joe, I want you to paint this mountain, a lake, maybe a sun, loose, loose abstract, go at it. Absolutely not. Like, get out of town. I can't do that. Can't, to your point, right? Can't, I'm using air quotes, can't draw to save my life. And yet... Yeah. I just was in in the class. I'd been I had been watching a lot of Bob Ross, and and a lot of his instruction is like, eh, if you make a, if you you don't make a mistake, you just blend it into something new. You just work with something yeah. new, and it's your expression. It's whatever you want it to be. And I find yeah. myself I really got into it, and I loved it, and I'm pretty pleased with the end result. But it wouldn't have mattered because I enjoyed it, and that's it was tapping into sort of that childlike wonder and instinct that I always had that I've forgotten and lost somewhere along the way. And then, yeah. and then to your point about the kids, I've watched my daughter who's now seven. When she first started painting and drawing, it was a lot of blob and abstract colors. And then over, and then over time I saw shapes starting to take hold, right. And some faces and, and a house or an animal or, or a creature and, it's interesting to see the enthusiasm has never waned. It's always been there. And it's been a, a point of, I want to put down how I am seeing the world in my own, in my own mm -hmm. mind. And I, I love that you've sort of tapped into that a little bit with creature as well. Yes. And it's also um, for children uh, as adults, we're very focused on product. And you were saying earlier about, you know, this hierarchy of, achievement and experience and we're all sort of stressed because we're trying to measure up to some targets and so on kids yep. don't really think that way or they haven't been trained to think that way yet and so um for them drawing is a process and one thing i noticed about my kids is their willingness to scrunch up or rip up a picture after <laughs> yeah. them or paint black over the top you yeah. know it's like oh, i was beautiful picture and i'm like 
you know, classic sort of interfering parent, don't touch it, <laughs> down brushes. And uh, they come in and with and blacken it out. And, yeah. and really that's how it should be. It's, yeah. it's about the process. It's drawing in the sand on the beach and then yeah. watching the tide come in. Yeah. And um, as adults, we sort of, it's almost like we get fooled into some idea that we're immortal or something and everything's going to last forever. We're yeah. never going to die. And, yeah. um, and so we're holding on and we're like trying to preserve value in, in solid permanent things. And kids are just like, eh, you know what? It was, it's like kicking a ball around in a field. Yeah. Um, they don't need a, they don't need a permanent record of that experience. They're too busy enjoying it. Um, you'll see it when your own kids draw. It's just like, um, it's very free that way. A lot of adult artists are trying to get back to that point. Um, Picasso always said, you know, spend a lifetime learning to draw like a child. And it's true. It's quite hard to get back to that point. Um, and you never do fully, but you, you can sort of have moments where you're just really lost. Yeah. Um, as, as you you experienced in your little class. Um, and it's just getting started is the main thing. Once you get, I'm the same. I, I really, once I get started, I'm good. Um, but before I get started, I'm so worried about, oh, is it going to be any good? Um, do I have time for this? Um, mm. Shouldn't I be doing something else? You know? Um, yes be doing my taxes <laughs> and uh but once i get started um you know i i'm just sort of uh lost in the process when it's going well i'm lost yeah. in the process and that's really nice i think this book too is is really m about that you know all the work in the book is moments when i feel i've been lost in the process and i haven't been worried about the result or what it's for especially so a lot of these paintings weren't done for anything yeah. Um, it's just, I really wanted to see what they look like. Um, and I really, I've learned to trust that kind of art making, um, more than a lot of other work where there's a attempt to please somebody or to fulfill a brief or, you know, get paid or whatever. So right. it's, you know. you know, you brought up two points, um, about when you, when you start to put sort of metaphorical pen to paper, right. Or pencil to paper or, or what have you, um, and it's the thought, is it going to be good? I heard you say that. And do I have enough mm -hmm. time? Like, is this a good use of time? Good, like, yes. like the the artificial, um, val like someone else's opinion of the art. And well, shouldn't I just be spending my time doing something else that will that will help this mm -hmm. other person like like what I'm doing? And I I res like that it like, gave me goosebumps because I resonate with that so much, and I think so many people do. For any creative mm. process, it's the thought of like, well, number one, is it actually going to be good? Who cares? Mm. Like, that's not like, who? why are you doing it? Why are you as an artist doing the thing that you're doing? What do you want to get out of it? Then boom, it doesn't matter if it's good or not. If you are doing it for you and that's your why, it will be good in the, in the matter of it is achieving what you are set out to do. Other people might put a high dollar on it, might put a lesser dollar on it, but it is, it is not up to... Um, it is not up to like us to stop in our own tracks to worry about the artificial person in the background looking over That's our shoulder right. saying this is good mm -hmm. or this is not. And then the time we already I said it I said it to you when we joined and I, I say it often to guests when they come on that time is our most valuable commodity and I really appreciate mm. uh, you spending some time some of it right that you have that's so precious with me so we can record this conversation for other people to hear. And if yes. we worry about what else should I be doing, this is it. This is the thing. If you yeah. want to do that, this is the thing you should be doing. Yep, that's right. right. I need to put my soapbox away. Thank you for coming to my <laughs> TED Talk. No, but, but, but... Yeah, well, you know, we have to remind ourselves of that from time to time. But it's an interesting point you make, imagined audience. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so arrogant and presumptuous, the authority to uh, assume what, what they're going to like or not like. Um, it's best to just forget about it because it's too difficult. Um, it's too much to think about. Unfortunately, we are living in a culture which uh, I notice is highly, well, there's such a flood of of stuff and it's highly comparative. Yes. So, you know, Instagram and, and everything. There's a constant, even though you're looking through and you're appreciating everybody's artwork, there's always this sense of um, your measuring Yes. You know, liking or not liking and things like that. And I think there's something essential about that. Like it's essential for culture to have that, but there's such a, a flood. Um, and even before 
you know, the internet, I, I noticed uh, when I would travel to a book fair, a uh, big international children's book fair, and I'd see, you know, I thought this would be inspiring, you know, to see what all the artists of the world are producing. Yeah. I came, I came away somewhat devastated <laughs> because it was just such an overload and yeah. it felt like my own work felt disappointingly small and shallow um, by comparison or repetitive. I thought I was unique. And then I went there and I'm looking in the Mexican books and the French books and Romanian books and all over the world. And I see there's people doing the same thing that I'm doing. Um, and it kind of took a bit of the wind out of my sails. And then when I went back to, you know, my little studio in Perth in Western Australia and forgot about all that um, and just started pottering around with my own stuff and thinking, you know what, who cares? I'll just, I'll just entertain myself. Um, I really started to hit some success the yeah. moment that I, I, you know, disavowed myself of any notions that uh, I needed to measure myself against what's going on elsewhere. Um, and also it was just too difficult to do, you know, yeah. it was too difficult to, to try and think of two things at once, both my own thoughts and the thoughts of other people. It's yeah. better to just, you know. The other thing I've noticed is that you do something fun for yourself. Miraculously, other people are infected yeah. with that sense of fun and authenticity. They yeah. get it. It doesn't matter how weird it is. Um, it can even be a funny little abstract painting. But if you if you feel passionate about it, um, you know, you finish it and you sort of think, uh, this is a bit idiosyncratic. Nobody else is going to get it. I'm always amazed by the people who look at all the work and they oh, i will go to this one little thing that you didn't go i really like that i don't know why but i really like that and it's almost like it's telepathically communicating yeah. authentic experience i'm not sure how that happens with art but it yeah. you know all the great paintings seem to do that i don't think any painting that's resonated throughout history has been a, a you know a, a real commercial right kind of job that 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 our daughters was going oh, i just want to get this done so i can go and have dinner <laughs> um it's something that they really cared about you know and went above and beyond what they needed to do yeah and you can absolutely feel that in yeah it's interesting to feel such raw emotion through an object such as a painting or a, a sculpture or a mural or what have you um yeah i want to talk about i want to talk about creature i'm holding it up here um, and I want to, I want to start before I dig into some of the, the pieces in here, I want to start and ask you why this particular book and why now? Um, well, I've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, partly because I would visit other artists' studios and I would see they would have a whole bunch of interesting stuff on yeah. their shelves, little knickknacks, half finished projects canvases stacked against the wall and um it'd be fascinating i'd really get an insight into their personality and their deep interests um they would often be a little bit dismissive of it and go you know oh, i didn't finish that you know and um but yeah that project didn't eventuate oh this is something i did for myself but i'm not going to use it and i thought you know more of this stuff is the stuff that people want to see it's all that behind the scenes yeah work that feeds into the more you know polished published work that you see and then i realized well i've got a lot of stuff like that too i have a similar attitude too it's like i i put it away and i think you know maybe that'll be useful later as i age i'm realizing sometimes that later never comes yeah so you gotta make it you gotta make it that's for sure so i was thinking well how can i get this work into a volume where i can have a conversation with other people about it and also reflect on it myself without it feeling like a gratuitous you know um showy kind of thing where it's just like you know look at all this cool stuff i did um, <laughs> buy my book <laughs> and um i found that the uh you know i spent a number of years thinking about it i did many different versions of this book it was all sort of you know focusing on landscapes or focusing on certain emotional themes or trying to figure out well, what is it that i'm doing it was almost like a self-psychoanalysis what am i actually doing and in the end i i came back to this very simple idea of um, creatures. And again, going back to the work I was doing as a child, I was looking at that, you know, trying to find those, um, the genesis of this spark that, that, that keeps burning. And, uh, it was just this fun of drawing an imaginary creature. And then I realized this is something people have been doing for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, the more I look at it, the more I say the history of art is a history of mythical creatures. You know, it's like the oldest stuff you can find is, some 
lion-headed woman carved out of a mammoth tusk, right. you know, things like that. It's like these mythical creatures are like the bedrock of of human imagination and they pop up in our dreams all the time. And yep. uh, I'm very interested in Australian um, Indigenous mythology, frightening and inspiring characters um, that feel real, but, you know, on some level and then on some level not. And I, I love that sort of space which a picture creates where it's, yep. you, it's, you think it's real, but you know it's not real. And so um, anyway, that became the kind of anchor for collecting my work and looking at it and discussing it and, and asking myself this question of, of what are these creatures and why do I keep drawing them? And as for why now, why now you asked, um, in Melbourne, we had very severe lockdowns as a result of the pandemic and um, I didn't have access to my studio and a lot of other stuff. And uh, I was homeschooling as well quite a lot. And uh, my time was you know down to little 20 minute chunks here and there um anyone with kids would know what that's yep. like <laughs> we even without a pandemic yeah and um i started sketching in a sketchbook because i just needed to do something sure. you know i needed to release and i didn't really have all my stuff and my projects and i ended up almost going back to my factory settings which is drawing little creatures so there's a page after page of these funny little creatures and so um yeah that again got me thinking about this book and realizing you know maybe i should just sort of focus on this subject more consciously and and uh you know try and find something meaningful in the work as a whole all these different creatures over the years it's interesting to me <clears throat> you have let me let me let me read the passage that i marked over here because i didn't want to forget it and I'll go into my thought. You've got, uh, so in, in towards the beginning of the book, um, you've got, uh, you've got a section where you're talking about, uh, lost things specifically. And you've got right here, you say, uh, so in this particular place, uh, the boy, there's a boy that's trying to get this lost creature a home and nobody seems to want it. And then it finds a place of sanctuary and the boy goes back to sort of his mundane life. And it's it's more of a question of who's better off, the lost the lost thing or, or the boy. And I think we as a society are conditioned to believe the boy is better off because he's going back to his routine and he's going back to his safe space and whatever. But in reality, it's an examination of these practices and, and patterns and routines that we were, we were referencing earlier. And specifically you have, mm -hmm. you have right here, I'll just read just a smidget of it. He says the boy, however, returns to his far less inspiring proper life. Importantly, the central question of belonging persists. The rescued creature remains resolutely a lost thing, but all the better for it, because a world obsessed with prescriptive notions of belonging is not such a great place to be. And that line, that sentence, uh, a world obsessed with prescriptive notions of belonging is not such a great place to be. That, mm. that line has been like eating away at my brain for the last two weeks. And it is, yeah. it is powerful beyond belief in the sense that I think we can sort of metaphorically take our head up out of out of what we're doing and look around and recognize there is this fundamental need that we've been conditioned to believe to belong mm -hmm. to what we don't know but to belong mm. and I yes. I found personally for myself when I strip away this all-encompassing desire for making it up the corporate ladder as an example and just start mm -hmm. focusing on what do what do what does joe want to do what do i want to do how do i want to express and create and just be then mm -hmm. i found clarity and purpose and perhaps a lost thing but in a much better personal position than i was before i had a bit of a um, so peeling back the curtain just a little bit, I had a bit of an epiphany a couple months ago where I recognized this is about as far as I want to go in this one particular avenue of my life. And, and it was, the, it was the, the sort of admitting it out loud brought this sense of clarity and calmness because I was chasing mm -hmm. the next thing because it was, it was something I'd been conditioned to do. And I recognized that's not, that's not what I want. 
this is what I want. Mm. And I'm like gesturing and people can't hear it, but I'm, I'm speaking in broad strokes. And then when I read this line, it, it lingered with me because I went, that is it. That is what is so powerful that we as individuals lose sight of because we think, well, is what I'm doing good enough? And do I have time? Right. Which is what you mm -hmm. said earlier. So I want to talk to you about the tone of sort of setting the book off with this notion of belonging and how that mm. sort of informed both lost things and then, and then the trajectory that you wanted to put the rest of the book towards. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. Belonging. Um, yes. Um, and I think the key word in that sentence is prescriptive. Yes. Because there's nothing wrong with notions of belonging, but I think what happens is that we forget that those notions uh, can be very fluid and they, they always have been since the dawn of time. Um, and, you know, as animals, I'm a perfect example. We love to settle into a comfortable little pattern. We, we seek yeah. safety and security and love. And uh, we look for those things that are reassuring. Um, and that's as it should be. Uh, I guess there's a little bit of a trap there because we, we, we fall into this illusion that the way we live is normal, mm. you know, like this is the normal and even worse, the right way yeah. to live, um, which is not to say it's wrong, but that there are a thousand different types of right. And um, I don't know why, but I've always been obsessed ever since I started uh, writing and illustrating in earnest around um, 1995, which is probably when I decided I'm going to, I'm going to bite the bullet and, 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 you know, take on this imaginary job of being a writer <laughs> and an artist. Yeah. Um, I've always been interested in this idea of belonging and not consciously either. It just comes out in the story, uh, you know, one after the other, um, stories about colonization, um, stories about immigrants, stories about lost things, such as that was the first picture book that I wrote and illustrated about this boy finding this creature on a beach and, um, one of one part of him wants to walk past it and just get on with uh, his life because he's got things to do. Yeah. And another part of him, you know, his heart is breaking for this creature and he, he just needs to do something about it. And he, he has this moment of like listening to his heart and it gets him into all sorts of trouble. Um, and then he goes back to his, his normal life. And yeah, the story ends with that, that hanging question of, of is he better or worse for that decision? Um, I don't have a simple answer myself. I love stories where you keep going back to them again and again yeah. and, and reflecting on, on what is the right thing to have done and what would I have done and how can I do things differently? I think in our day and age, um, it's important to address these questions. If I stand back and sort of think, why am I drawn to them? I think there is a, there's sort of maybe some deeper philosophical motivation. I feel a lot of the world's problems and conflicts seem to stem from this idea that uh, belonging is prescriptive, that this is the right way for a person to belong in a certain place. Um, I mean, you just look at what's going on in, in uh, Ukraine at the moment. It's, yeah. it's just rife with this kind of misconception of what belonging is and that it's an inflexible kind of God-given thing. Right. Um, when any magician or illusionist will tell you it's 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 this massive assumptions that's built up over a lifetime and um i think uh, as a writer and artist it's, it creates this great canvas because you can pluck these assumptions like strings and it sets off all these little emotions in us when we hear a good story it's because it's those little strings of assumptions about belonging and who we are just you know you get a little pluck yeah. <laughs> and and people realize you know that thing that I thought was just absolutely true, maybe it isn't, or maybe it's a bit more complicated and it gets, it sort of returns us to, I think, childhood when we were still grappling with these ideas and we didn't have this firm notion of, of you know, um, the sort of black and white ideas about how the world is um, or falling into the trap of thinking that we know everything as adults. Right. Um, kids are kind of used to this sort of surreal weird half understood place and in, in a way that's a good good way to be you know to actually not feel as though you understand everything and that right. you're still open to learning and open to 
listening to another person's point of view um, might not be the same as yours, but just entertaining that for a while and yeah. sort of trying to see the world through through their eyes and their ideas of what belonging is. And um, yeah, but I, I the actual question of do I belong and, and how should I belong? I, I love it because it's just an open question. It never yeah. seems to be fully answered. Um, and a lot of us struggle to close it. You know, we want closure on this question. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. I quite like that it's open. I do too. And I liked how you brought up uh, the thought about kids because there's so many times, how many times do you see a group of kids, um, you know, I, I see in a forest, right? Or in, in the woods or just hanging out and playing. And I see a giant right there and the giant is swooping its giant hand down. What do you see? Ooh, I see giant elephants or I see little mice. And it's this, this sort of shared collaborative experience where people are like, Hmm, I don't quite see that, but I see why you see it. And this is really neat. And we lose that. And then it also reminds me of why so many children, myself included back, back way back when, um, are are enthralled with these fantasy books like Chronicles of Narnia or Bridge mm. to Terabithia, you know, these these books that have these incredible stories and creatures in them, and we use them as an opportunity to explore because not everything in the world feels like we've got it figured out, and that's okay. That's interesting. Yes. It's mysterious. Mm. It's it's fun. It's it's mm-hmm. a way to understand it's sort of this almost this appreciation and reverence that we don't know everything and that's okay. And we get older yeah, and that's we go, exactly well, no, right. I need to know everything because how will I know when I've reached the the top space of where I need to go? Or how will I know if I'm good enough? Or how will I know if mm. I'm using my time the right way? Right. And, and kids don't need that type of assurances. Yes. They need to, they need to know that they don't know. And then that's okay. Yes. And we also need yes. to be reminded of that. <laughs> yes. It's it's a tricky balance because, of course, as, a, as an adult and a functioning adult, you do need to have this almost uh, build up this scaffolding in yes. place around the building that is your life. <laughs> and that scaffolding is a set of rules and, and provisional understandings um, that we hold on to. Like we yeah. have to regard some things as true. Otherwise, we can't function. We have to set up these rules and and um, sometimes they can be misperceptions, but they're quite useful ones. Right. So we use those. Um, and everything is like that from language to the law. It's made up scaffolding that we all have some consensus about. Uh, money is a good example. Yeah. Totally non-existent thing. Right. But we all agree that those numbers mean anything. These, these bits of imaginary paper. Do you agree <laughs> this means something? Please tell me you do. Right. <laughs> and the moment someone says they don't, whoa, you've got a big problem. but all of this is is imaginary okay and um so we but we need to agree that there is a truth there but i think the key thing um and this is something kids understand is that it's provisional okay we we use it because it works and um i would even extend that to the thousands of different religions Mm -hmm. that have swept through humanity over millennia yeah um there's a truth there but the aspects of it are all different. Um, but it's something that is a scaffolding that we can agree with. We can have community and love. We can come together. We can work together. Um, and, of course, language is the classic one. You and I yeah. both agree to use these words, yeah. and we have some consensus about what they mean, and we're able to share ideas and affect each other with those ideas. But the words themselves are fictional things. So... Um, it's tricky. On one hand, we, we're funny animals that way. On one hand, we have to believe in these fictions in order to work. Um, but then we can get stuck into believing so much in them that we can't shift out of them, you know, that we can't then, if someone comes along with a different worldview, um, we can't actually digest that very easily because we're too stuck to that provisional truth. And we've come to think of it as absolute truth, yep. you know, and that's when you've got a big problem uh, and I see it in my own life. So a lot of my work I feel is um, self-critical and self-reflexive. Um, it's the same way you're talking about things that are happening in your situation. Right. I'm noticing the way in which the liquid in my cement mixer that's constantly 
is sometimes allowed to settle too long and it hardens. Yep. And I can feel myself, especially when I'm with my kids um, and they start asking me all their questions and challenging me a little bit. <laughs> I can feel my con- my hard concrete starting to crack. Yeah. And sometimes it comes out as anger and frustration and I have to remind myself, well, hang on a second. You know, it's just, it's really that my concrete has, has been left in a pool too long. Right. You know, without being jiggled around. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's sort of starting to set. So, um. Yeah, I, I don't want to be one of these grumpy old guys that that's just a uh, solid concrete yeah. <laughs> on the front porch, well, complaining about everything. I mean, um, yeah, and it um, it makes life less interesting too. If if that's all that yeah, if that's all there is. That's right. You can't think about things anymore. Right. Once once certain views harden, um, then you can't think about them anymore. Uh, so it's it's a real problem, you know. Um. And, uh, you know, it's a cause for a lot of grief for other people and, and conflict in societies when, when that, uh, that cement becomes so hard that all you can do is bang it against another person's hard bit of cement Yep. until they both crack and fall into bits. Absolutely. If that metaphor works, I'm yeah. just... <laughs> no, <laughs> I think it's does good. that even make sense? Yeah, no, 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 it does. And you know, one of the that actually leads me back into the the other part that I wanted to bring up that has really resonated with me a lot. So this is no words. I'm going to show the picture so you've got it for reference, and I'll I'll do my best to share um, with the audience. But uh, um, we've got um, this uh, particular set of images so you've got uh, cloud cypress and on the next page we've got belief lock lens tomb fledgling eerie cave light and it's a series of to me i'll center myself in this to me they are a series of portraits and they all evoke sort of a different um a different emotion um and perspective mm-hmm. and the reason that they resonated with me so much is they're all, it's a series of, of images that are roughly the same type of profile design and very radically different interpretations or uh, the way I took it in uh, was mindsets. And it resonates mm-hmm. so much with me because I've got, you've got, I think, 10 images or, or more uh, on those two pages combined, three pages combined. And each one of them, I found myself going, this is me when I'm in this mental state. This is me when I'm frustrated. This is me when I'm creative. This is me when I'm inspired and on and on and on. And I, I could center myself, which I think this is a very human thing to do, center myself in the images as though I were that individual in that profile. And then thinking through what do, what I, I remember <laughs> I lingered for about half an hour on each of those individual images, trying to place myself in what would this mindset be if I was to mm. have sort of the clouds swirling around my head? What does that mean mm. for me? And it, it was very emotion. It was a very emotional practice for me to sort of see myself in those images. And it allowed me um, the opportunity to sort of work through a few things almost in a, in a therapeutic way uh, that I didn't mm-hmm. realize were sort of locked up, um, just sort of waiting for a bit of a catalyst to release. So I want to ask you, what did those sort of creating those different images, what was that process like for you? And how did you, how did you sort of think about the works while you were creating them? Mm, well, first, it's fascinating to hear you um, talk about about those images um, like that, that they had such a resonance for you. Um, they're probably the most personal works in the book. Um, they really were produced for absolutely no reason, <laughs> <laughs> except that I wanted, I was, I was interested in this idea of a, a portrait as a landscape. Yeah. Like, could you turn a portrait into a landscape? So it uses my own head in a three quarter profile and, um, I just drew that, but without features. So it's yeah. just the shape of my head, like remove the details and replace them with, um, I think the first one might've been the Cypress one where there's just a, it's like the head becomes a hill yes. with trees growing out the top yep. and pathways, you know, um, and, and just thinking, what does that mean? I, I'm very much like you as the reader of those images um, in producing them. I don't think too deeply about them beforehand. I just, I just start doing things and sometimes the process of drawing is such that um, it's it's a kind of play where 
doing these lines and I use charcoal mostly for these particular drawings because it's very loose medium. Sure. Your hand does a lot of weird movements that, that leave marks that become something useful and they, they sort of reveal themselves a bit like yeah. a, you know, like those raw starch inkblot tests yeah. where, where something happens as an accident, but you see something in it and you, you, it's almost like listening to the quiet needle mm. hovering inside your mind. And the moment it goes one way, you, instead of like bringing it back to the center, you go, okay, well, why did I go that way? Let's follow that. Why do I like that line? Yeah. Let's turn it into a shape. Makes me think of this, makes me think of that. And then you've got this stream of consciousness that happens. Before you know it, you have this portrait of a, um, and these are quite simple portraits too, but um, for me, they ended up looking like these dark brooding, um, almost like uh, Anthony Gormley sculptures, if you've ever seen this British yeah. sculptor's work, where it's almost like just cast human forms that are very elemental, very powerful. And um, But in my case, they've got cavities carved in them with light shining out or um, locked up with rivets. And uh, I've done many more that aren't in the book, but these were just some of my favourites. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I'd just look at them and 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 like you, I'd wonder what they they mean. Um, and I'd keep coming back to them, and they'd mean different things at different times. Um, I think one of them, which is appropriate to what we've been talking about, is just called belief. Yeah. And it's where a whole section of the head has been carved yes. out, but a bit's been left, which is like a stone that's just hovering there, yeah. and um, and the head becomes a cradle for this stone. So the whole head does nothing but service this hovering stone. And um, I, th I feel it's quite a negative image about um, how belief, you know, because it's, uh, belief is a funny word, yeah. you know, um, you hear about a lot in election campaigns and so on, but it's also the source of much grief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we must believe in ourselves and all this sort of stuff, but those same things can actually um, make you come undone. You know, yeah. um, wars are waged on the basis of belief, yeah. especially intractable belief and so this yeah. this stone is like this you know like a gallstone or something but for the head that you just you cannot you cannot move it. it's like a trap um but it could be read also as as a this idea that belief is such a delicate thing you know it's like a stone that has to hover in the air you know it's like hover stone just stay there and a lot of a lot of belief including good belief is is that faith that faith that there's something there that we need to follow. We need this as humans. Um, even though there's an element in us that doubts and the stone starts to drop, you know? Yeah. Um, so I love these images because they're so ambiguous. Um, um, you know, even the one with the light just shining through a hole in the front of the, the yeah. head. It, it's almost like an epiphany, but it, it, there's something a bit sinister about it at the same yeah. time. And I guess that I'm always interested in pictures that, that, that hover. Um, they're not good or bad. They're not one thing or another. They just sort of tap into this sort of slightly ambiguous feeling that I think we all have deep down of um, being not quite sure about who we are in the world. And uh, I think there's a lot of comfort when you see an image like that because it feels like it's feels like it's okay yeah. to have that anxiety and that it's normal. Um, yeah. At least I hope so. I like to see it when I, I paint it. It kind of makes me feel a bit comforted to, to put that ambiguity there on the canvas yeah. or paper and just sort of say, um, you know, I, I feel uncertain, but that's okay. Right. No, well, well said. And I think that is something that I know personally uh, I crave and I, I have in the, the background of my office, I have a Rothko print uh, back here. Yeah, yes. I like, was wondering what yeah, that was. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's a yellow and then a red and then an orange. And that's a positive Rothko. And then on the other side that's off frame, it's a dark Rothko. So it's sort of a blood mm -hmm. red. Uh, well, actually darker than that, like almost like a dried mm -hmm. blood red, right? Very dark. And then mm -hmm. a dark blue and then almost a black. And, and I have them intentionally on opposite ends of the room. Um, because I, it was interesting to me. I got the positive one first and it didn't sit well with me. And it was because, mm -hmm. and this is my interpretation, but it didn't sit well with me. And I realized I needed to know that it was okay to not be okay sometimes. And that, yeah. and so I ended up finding the, the darker, I'm using air quotes, Rothko. 
and I put them up and I recognized that I, I, I felt this sort of balance in, in the office mm-hmm. in that it's okay if sometimes days are a little bit darker, days are a little bit more positive. It's not saying that one is better than the other and it's not even saying that I have to be one versus the other. It's just more an acknowledgement that it's all right and sometimes it's going to seem more one way than the other and sometimes it's a bit of a blend. And, yes. and so going back to what you were saying about sort of the images that you drew um, for the book and, and what you've got in there with the different profiles, that's what also resonated with me so much is this sort of acknowledgement that sometimes things are, could be perceived as a very positive way and sometimes could be perceived in the opposite way and sometimes a blend and all are okay because that's part mm-hmm. of our experience and, and condition. Yeah, that's right. The other thing about you having those two paintings there is it sets up a contrast. Mm-hmm. So that 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 joyous one that you have there, which always to me looks like a sunrise. Right. That's kind of like the feeling I get from looking at it. Um, and the other one's probably a bit more nocturnal. Right. It, it doesn't really almost have meaning unless it's with something else. Right. And I find that it goes down to everything, down to a, a, a dark line on a white piece of paper. It's almost like you need the two bits for it to have any kind of resonance. And as you develop a picture, it's like exposing a photograph. It's like yeah. the darks and lights, darks and lights, darks and lights. And, and they're always in balance. And in painting is constant adjustment. Yeah. It's constant adjustment, um, trying to get that tension right. Um, like cooking or any any other right. number of human activities, you're just trying to get that balance right where it feels um, simple but complex and well rounded. You know, yes. you're always trying to get that feeling, and I guess that's what it's like. Maybe to feel like a calm human being. That's uh, when you're calm and content. It's like you're not sort of. There's still a lot of complexity there, and things. There's a lot going on inside you, but it's in balance. You know, you're just trying to achieve that sort of balance. And it does mean acknowledging that there's all that dark stuff going on under the surface um, or as potential, you know, yeah. things can go, can go wrong. I guess it's a bit like parenthood too, you know, it's yeah. like, it's this joy, but it's, I was just thinking the other day, it's underscored by deep potential horror. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, once you become a parent, the, the depth of despair that you can reach are so much more profound than they yes. were before. I yes. think when you think about what happens to some children, yeah. um, it's, it's just almost inconceivable. Uh, but it's almost like the beauty of that experience is, is heightened by awareness of the constant danger Yeah, and, um, and the fragility of, of that. And also your own mortality, you know, I'm so much more, aware of that since having children oh my God, I get um, that. and seeing yes. myself as part of a cycle yeah. you know, that I, um, I'm sort of <laughs> quite happy to shuffle off at some point. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just, yeah, everything is, is that, um, is that light and dark, yeah. you know, um, no, no, nothing new there. <laughs> <laughs> no basis of every belief system. Yeah. No. Um, but uh, yeah, I love in that in drawing. It's so simple. It's there on the page. You see it constantly when yeah. you draw. When you look at a picture, it's light and dark things mixing together and pushing and pulling. They're never at rest. Um, but they they can be they can be in a sort of a state of balance. Yeah. Like you know, um, like an atmosphere on a planet. It's all swirling and stuff's yeah. going on, but it's in, in some state of, of equilibrium. I like it. Um, as we're wrapping up, I want to ask you, so we've got, I would say, if you're listening to this and you're like, I need to see these images, I need to get this book. Where is it? It's in the show notes. I've got it there. Just scroll down. We'll also post links on social. Like it's all there. You will get you right to the book. Don't worry. You will not be left high and dry. We will get you this book because it is incredible. Everyone needs it. Um, and I, uh, it is rapidly becoming one of my favorite books. I mean, it is just I the amount of time I've just found myself thinking about it as I've gone about my day to day life has been uh, too many to count. It's I, I thoroughly uh, okay, enjoy right. it. Um, I want to know. I want to ask you one final question before we pivot to the last segment of the show, and that is if um, what is some advice you would give to like young aspiring artists um, that are looking to sort of just continue to keep sort of that childlike wonder of art as they as they are pursuing it maybe more and more what is some some advice or maybe a mantra 
that you have for yourself that you would like to provide? Mm, um, I guess it, it depends on, on where you are in your burgeoning artistic career. The younger children don't really need advice. I mean, I'm, they're the ones that would be advising me. Um, but as you get older, I think around, um, I think for me and for other children I've noticed, maybe 10 to, 10 to 12 and certainly into the early teens, the process of art making gets quite difficult. Um, so there's almost like a threshold that needs to be breached um, through sheer persistence. It's the same with anything. Um, if your passion is there, it will be tested because what happens is your, um, and all kids of this age will know this, um, your ability to uh, see things imaginatively ex- starts to exceed your technical ability and you know it. And so you start to become frustrated because it's like, I, I know what I want to draw and it's not going the way I want to. Um and it, it's causing me frustration. I'm not getting that joy all the time. And certainly that was a very frustrating time for me. Um, there's a lot of emotions that you grapple with and self-doubt really comes to a head. And I think uh, I managed to push through it largely through the support of friends and family and teachers, you know, they're just encouraging. So, you know, any parents out there listening, the best thing you can do, I mean, my parents didn't really have that much to do with my artistic practice except they said everything i did was good (laughs) (laughs) even even the lousy stuff i'd say that's great um and i think that was probably enough you know and especially friends when friends started saying you're a good drawer i thought you know wow that's uh that's something you know that they must know what they're talking about um so yeah i think just giving support to young artists a lot of people make the assumption that if you're good at drawing then it's automatically a passion. That's not the case. It's, it's a, it's a flagging passion. It's one that really needs to be nurtured by others and encouraged. And conversely, the tiniest bit of criticism or put down can really end an artistic career quite easily. So I would, I would just be, you know, for any parents out there listening, if your child is interested in a creative passion, first of all, know that it's a real job and can be a very well-paying job too, being an artist. (laughs) Um, so don't worry about it the way my parents used to panic. <laughs> um, uh, it all worked out fine. Um, but uh, I did have to, you know, I had to sort of really stick at it, really stick at it and get get through those dark parts. Um, and if you can do that and, you know, get to your, say, mid-20s and still be practising, then it's, it's usually a little easier. But, uh, yeah, being a teenage artist is no picnic. <laughs> That's great advice. Well, Sean, thank you. We are going to pivot to the final segment of the show, which is a segment I like to call Things to Check Out. It is a segment where I provide something I'm either watching, reading, and or listening to uh, as recommendations to my listeners, and I invite my guests to do the same. So I will go first. Uh, Some recommendations on the topic of creature or creatures. I want to recommend a movie that I just recently rewatched. A little bit because I was uh, getting over the Halloween, uh, the mood, uh, uh, but uh, something that continues to resonate with me. It's the movie The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. Mm -hmm. Um, It is about a creature who is easily misunderstood and perhaps is looking for some belonging in its own life and and uh, it's counter counter to what society deems, quote unquote, normal. So I won't give any more away if folks haven't watched it. It's got a beautiful soundtrack. Um, and I remember I was drawn to it because I grew up watching the Universal Monsters movies um, back in the day. And Guillermo del Toro said The Shape of Water is his version of if he was allowed to make uh, a version of The Creature from the Black Lagoon. So mm-hmm. that uh, that drew me in, and I love that. Um, I just finished reading, probably for the umpteenth time, Frankenstein, classic novel about a creature as well who is looking for a bit of belonging in in their own existence in the world and how the world reacts to them um and then uh listening to i'm actually not i usually provide a podcast recommendation or something i'm actually not listening to a ton of podcasts right now um i've been traveling quite a bit for work and i've been consuming harry styles's latest release uh harry's house that's been a, an album a music uh musical journey that's resonated with me so that's something i'm reading watching and listening to sean what is something you are uh consuming at moment at present moment oh boy let me think um I just finished reading um, The Remains of the Day by Katsuo oh. Ishiguro. I, um, oh, 
I read that literally uh, uh, 12, 13 years ago in a British lit class. Yeah. That book, uh, yes. I still think yeah. of that book today. Like yeah. the generational change, just the cat, like, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, <laughs> but, but that book is not a book I was expecting to really appreciate when I picked it up as a, as a junior in university um, at the University of Westminster, London, but uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, I was, I'd never read it before. I was familiar with the film, but I saw that when I was very young and I don't think I fully understood, um, you know, what was going on. But um, I, uh, I started reading it because I, um, someone had left a bin of books out on um, Ishiguro's other book, uh, Never Let Me Go. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew a little bit about that, but, um, and then and because I have an interest in science fiction and I love it when, you know, so-called literary authors do science fiction because I hate the division between those two yes. genres. Um, I find it very artificial and, and snobbish. And so it's great when um, someone known for more literary works, um, someone like Margaret Atwood, for instance, does a science oh, fiction book. It's yes. like, yes, thank you know, yes, science fiction is just another form of literature. Um, so I read that and found that um, very moving and and just one of the saddest books I've ever. <laughs> right. I can't think of a more hopeless situation than the characters in in that story, I but know. it's sort of strangely um, gripping the the um, the gentleness of the narrative um, yeah. and the way it unfolds. And um, and then I was sort of you know reading some reviews of it. And it was interesting to see how readers were quite divided. Yeah. By that that book and i think they either get the premise or they don't yes um and that's generally true of, of i realize of good and bad reviews um, yep. the bad reviews are people often talking about themselves yes and the good reviews talk about the work yes. on its own terms um they they make the effort to enter that world um rather than deciding if the doorway is good for them or not right and um and that led me to you know i thought well remains of the day um everybody's you know speaks highly of that book so I read it and I found it su- such a page turner I was surprised absolute page turner yeah. remains a day I couldn't put it down um and it's quite funny too which I didn't realize it has a, a, a sort of a gentleness it's very dark but it's got a gentle humor running all the way through it which is so endearing and um I'm interested in works where you really feel for characters or situations um, even though they're presented in a very straightforward way. And I think that's what I found appealing about that book too, this butler yeah. talking about, you know, his his daily life and aspirations and tolling beneath the surface almost imperceptibly is this deep well of emotion. But in, yeah. except for one tiny moment, it never rises to the top. That's right. Um, and I, I love the way you could sense it the whole time. And I love that in all great films um, and and books and music where there's this emotion that's it's it's there, this deep well. Yeah. And often someone will be talking about something on the top. There's this sort of banter on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally there's a little volcanic eruption or a fissure where that emotion starts <laughs> to come out. And that to me is always delightful because I find most of life is like that. It's this yeah. deep well of, of stuff um, that we are, we have a veneer over the top of for better or worse. I think it keeps under control <laughs> in many cases. Um, but then art and literature are wonderful because I think they often are the fissures. They're the little cracks where the light comes out and we sort of see and we connect because we feel, yes, I know exactly what that feels like, um, even though we can't really talk about it so clearly. Right. So, um, yeah, I thoroughly recommend anybody interested in a in a very enjoyable and not too long read, um, Remains of the Day. Definitely. Well, this has been excellent, Sean. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably, uh, Instagram. I'm not a big social media user, but I do post on Instagram. So my handle is Sean C. Waitan and, um, and my website, which is just seantan.net. Perfect. We'll put all those links in the show notes as well as tag you on the post. So Sean, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. And people please go and purchase creature right now. 
I don't know what you're doing. Your book should already be on its way to you by this point in the interview. Um, <laughs> but Sean, this has been a delight. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I look forward to you coming back on the show at some point in the future. Yes, I'd love to. Thanks. It's been great speaking with you. Um, very enjoyable mid-afternoon uh, <laughs> deep dive yeah. into some deeper issues than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that, Sean. Um, well, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.